0: Morning greetings to each one here again. The Lord, the Lord is risen. Thank you. I didn't know if you all knew what to respond there or not, but that is why we are here, not necessarily today Sunday, but that is why we were switching things around this morning. I too enjoyed the singing even devotional, Mike sharing, and I too, there was a song and Phil actually picked it, I was debating about saying it, and I thought, well, I'll just wait and see, and he came up and said the exact number, and then one of the phrases in it about um, it strife is or, I think maybe the title or maybe the phrase there, but in, in one of the lines it said about triumph, and sang right through it quick, and then I had to go back and look because it, it actually had an S on it. It wasn't just one triumph, it was triumphs plural. And certainly we think today of he triumphed over the grave as one, but you start looking at all the things he there's, did. There's many things that he triumphed over, and it's just a recognition again of who God is, what he does. As we looked at the bulletin. I know at times we don't look at the verse on the front, but I um, just had lots of different ways and things we could go this morning, but that's definitely one of them about the first fruits. We'll get into that a little bit later. But today is Easter as we celebrate, we remember Christ rising from the grave, from Death. And so, for the message, I don't know what for title really to give it. I think you could just call it Resurrection. And we serve a risen Lord, but that was then. And if you know me enough, it's like, how does that affect us today? We can't live off of history because we're not. Back there. We are here today. And I want to ask you, what does the resurrection mean to you? And I asked that to my wife, and she, then the way I set it up, it made it a little hard for her to answer. And I may do that a little bit to you as well, but I do want to look at, um, for lack of better lettering, I, I have three N's. They, they may not make complete sense, but nonetheless, I used them anyway. The need for resurrection. And then the narrative of the resurrection, and then the nobleness of the resurrection. So, if you're taking notes, those are the three ends that I want to look at. But in thinking of Good Friday and the crucifixion and what Jesus did, why would you say we need the resurrection? Just to start off on this, the first one, the need for resurrection. And I posed it as in, if Jesus died on the cross, paid the penalty for our sin, that as Christ looks at us, He forgives us, He doesn't hold that sin against us. We're okay in His favor now. We repent. We accept His provision of the way to be holy before Him. What would you say we need the resurrection for? It it kind of caught me off guard because it's like, well, yeah, duh, of course we need the resurrection. But what what basis? What what would you, where would you go? And what would you point out to say why do we need the resurrection? Obviously, we do. But some things came uh, through in studying of. For me, I would say I know why we need a resurrection now, more than what I used to. And we'll get into that maybe a little bit later in the, in the third in the last section. However, the need for resurrection. And if any of you think I come across, and I remember doing this in, as superintendent one time, I said... If it sounds like I really know what I'm doing up here, it's like I don't. I I take the cut and paste thing from commentaries and resources and I put them in my notes. <laughs> and so you got to realize I'm I'm I get stuck. My mind gets to the end and I can't comprehend more. And that happened a few times in some of these bunny trails I got on and like, we we are just so small in front of God as he fulfills his plan and goes down through and do stuff and we are just just barely grasping for some of these things that he's doing or or, I mean, especially the resurrection part I mean, we start getting complicated, there's two resurrections I mean, it talks about two deaths and there's a lot of things and Anyway, I don't want to confuse you this morning, that's one goal I don't want to, but as we look for the need for resurrection, I'm going to go back to Genesis, just quick, and if any of you would have remembered back, um whichever year they had strength in men, the men's, uh, um, there at Millmont, the men had some classes and some evenings there for a while in January, I guess, and they got me to... Um, come give a devotional, I forget what it was, one of the evenings, and we talked about death. Okay, so if you think about resurrection, how are you going to have a resurrection if something didn't die? So let's just have a resurrection. Well, what was it? Yeah, we know Jesus died, but now in our lives, okay, we got Jesus, we know what he did, but for you and I, do you need a resurrection? What are you going to resurrect from? What died? Genesis 2.17 said, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. And that dying is somewhat hard to understand. You can have physical death, you can have spiritual death. But what did God mean when he said, Thou shalt surely die? I think it did mean physical and spiritual as well. But I'm going to push your mind a little bit to think about death is the opposite of life. But death, as we look in scripture, never uh, denotes or means, it never denotes non-existence. And so when you think about death, especially in Scripture, you start getting a little bit like, okay, what does death mean? But it, death never means that something goes into non-existence. We know death as simply the opposite of life or in physical death, the soul and the body separate. That's what we call physical death. And whether Adam and Eve died... Physically, spiritually, when. I'm not sure on all that, but there's, there's room for both of that happening. Especially spiritually in that his relationship with God had come to an end. As compared to what it was before. There was a change in it. And as Romans 6.23 would say about the wages of sin is death. Sin is disobedience to God. And so we take that we have disobedience to God results in a death. As we know of a spiritual death. But now remember, spiritual death is conscious existence in separation from God. You're still alive in one form or another, even though you're spiritually dead. I think that made sense. But my high school teacher and the reason I say it makes sense is because it takes a lot to think through my high school teacher would, would bring this to us as a class he said we should have a philosophical discussion on this he said we should have a group of you uh, on one, table, one side of the table and a group on the other and he said probably we would just pose the question and you would get a division some would say one, some would say the other he said he'd like to hear what all this would be and he attempted to do that but we were too stupid I'll just use that word. We couldn't get what he was trying to say. We were ignorant of it. Here's the question he posed to us. He said, are you human beings with spiritual experiences or are you spiritual beings with human experiences? If you didn't get that, make sure I have it clear. Okay? We can be a human being flesh and blood with spiritual experiences or we can be a spiritual being with human experiences so I'm not sure which way you would take on that but when you're a high school boy sitting in class you'd say well hello I'm a human being Are you going to tell me I'm not It pinched me and it hurts. I'm human. And I just have spiritual experiences. But as the... uh, And we never really got into, you know, really debating. He just brought it to the class and we kind of talked this and that. But it wasn't long at all and I soon realized, you know, he is on to this. We are spiritual beings. And all we have is human experiences. And so... um, For some reason, that that kind of stuck with me. And I I still don't know if I totally grasp all of it. But it does make sense. As we think of Scripture, an end. What's going to end? When you die, what happens to you? Your human experiences are over with. But your spiritual being is going to keep on going somewhere. So, you can do with that whatever you want, but it gives for good thinking. But to recap this a little bit uh, in death and what Jesus did, it would be hard to separate the justification of sin and not being able to be alive in spirit with Christ. Now I'm jumping here a little bit ahead and kind of giving this intro and answering my own question about why we need the resurrection. But if you think about how you could, you know, in Romans it talks about all these, and how would you just not have one? If you had, you know, the, the justification of sin, that sin is taken care of, but you didn't have the sanctification and the glorification, if you want to use big words, how could you just only have one and not the other? And so, as you think about... The need for a resurrection was, is the fact that we died. And we were born with a sin nature. And God made a way for us to come to Him. But He said, that's, that's just not going to do it. We've got to have more. And the resurrection <coughs> puts the whole thing together. It's just the critical part of it. Crucial part of it. So, as we think of the need for the resurrection, we're going to read the account as we go to the narrative, or just the the uh, how it's given in Scripture. And I w- I wasn't sure which one to read. Uh, there's all four Gospels give the account. It was read already in Matthew. That's the one I have chosen, I guess, to read again. Uh, I'm just going to read over it fairly quickly because it's Easter. And we need to hear from the Word of God what happened on Easter morning. So turn to Matthew 28, if you're not there already. And I would like to read uh, verses 1 through 15. Matthew chapter 28, beginning at verse 1. In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher, And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning and his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. And the angel answered and said unto the women, Fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus which was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen as he said. Come, see the place where the Lord lay, and go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall ye see him, lo, I have told you. And they departed quickly from the sepulcher with fear and great joy, and did run to bring his disciples word. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, All hail. And they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. Then said Jesus unto them, Be not afraid. Go, tell my brethren that they go into Galilee, and there shall they see me. Now they, now when they were going, behold, some of the watch came into the city and showed unto the chief priests all the things that were done. And when they were assembled with the elders and had taken counsel, they gave large money unto the soldiers." Saying, say ye, his disciples came by night and stole him away while we slept, and if this come to the governor's ears, we will persuade him and secure you. So they took money, took the money, and did as they were taught, and this saying is commonly reported among the Jews until this day. So this account here in Matthew, um, I just took an overview in Matthew and and. Like to bring out some points just in the reading at face value. What it is, you probably uh not quite have these memorized, but you've heard these verses a lot. But for me, every time you read through it, just a few new things jump out. And I just want to share some of them with you. So, in uh, Matthew, here verses two and three, I I always enjoy just the the power, you know, of the angel coming and just there's an earthquake and, you know, rolling back that huge stone. And I realized, well, this is some of that characteristics as we think of the majesty of God that I was studying the other week. And it says here about an earthquake. So, yeah, we, we were talking about that. And then it says about his countenance was like lightning and his raiment white as snow just again to know that this was almighty god coming down it says a great earthquake and the angel of the lord i don't know what for angel this was i when it says about his countenance was like lightning which we studied you know the other time that was referring to god and it gives that same description here. But anyway, kind of one of those side things you get onto. But reflecting and, and stating the, the um, characteristics of Almighty God. That's in verse 2 and 3 there. But in verse 8, never thought of it much until I read it there. And they departed quickly from the sepulchre with fear and great joy and you can read over that until you stop and think that how or maybe you did or could do this but how can you have fear and great joy at the same time the pretty major happening when that takes place and i can understand at least to a little degree of how the mind can try to you know hold those two things together but when you're afraid fear how how do you have great joy mixed in with that but the the situation they were in it probably could have happened it says it did that they were yeah they wanted one but yet the other one was there and they were told that he would rise from the dead they 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 knew that and yet uh almost too good to be true and the possibilities of his body being stolen or taken Anyway, they had fun of, I guess fun, they had to deal with the, that conflict of emotion going on, that turmoil. Maybe we know that today and in, in other things. But there they had it with fear and joy trying to, trying to go together. And then in verse 9, it says, uh, the last part of the verse, and they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. Now apparently here they recognized that this was Jesus. He said, all hail and i don't i don't remember thinking or knowing that when these women came that they came and fell at his feet and held his feet i didn't study into it much but that's a way of uh, giving honor or preference or i don't know maybe some of you know better but it just gives that indication that they came held him by the feet and they worshiped him they knew who he was and in all these accounts it's a little hard to piece you know, Matthew writes it, and Mark does, and then Luke and John, and they all overlap or have their little details that they put into it. And so uh, you definitely want to compare all of them together to get your conclusions if you wonder a little bit what's taking place here. But they, um, they knew who Jesus was, and they worshipped him. It must have been an awesome encounter to see a risen Lord as they, they knew a couple of other comments from the other ones from Luke it says two men in shining garments here it says one angel came down mark says one young man sitting at the right side clothed in long white garment John says two angels in white one at head and the other at the feet so they, they covered everything God's presence was there whether it was one or two or angels or a man or it, it it all was there. Now, one somewhat humorous, I guess, note here in John. Um, at least had to make me laugh a little bit. I don't know if it'll make you laugh or not, but if you get a mental image of it, it could make you smirk and and uh, just just laugh at how God does things. So in John, it makes a note about the linen clothes lying there, and the napkin or the face cloth folded and laying by itself. so It's kind of like two separate areas there. Now, that, as we know, gives indication of Jesus saying, it's time to rise. He comes back to life. He sits up. He takes his clothes off. He lays them there. He takes his face off, puts it there, and he exits the tomb. Now, That's the way I would take it. I don't know how you would say, but we know the linen clothes were laying there. So just think for a little bit. If you were going to steal the body of Jesus, what would you do? For one thing, as the one commentary said, they wouldn't steal the body. You'd take that new linen clothes that were in there would be worth more than the body. They'd take the clothes and let the body there. Or if they really wanted to steal the body, they would take the body and the clothes. So who in their right mind would take only the body and let the clothes there? And yet these people, as we read in Matthew, they paid them. To believe this story that the body of Jesus was stolen. The disciples, I about read it there, but I forget. The disciples took it. How, how absurd of thinking would you go to to not believe something? I don't know. Just, I had an image of robbers coming and taking the clothes off quick and letting them there. We don't want the clothes. Let's just get the body out of here. It just gave me a. Uh, Almost a a laugh there, I guess, when I was studying. But um, anyway, many other points of interest. Peter outran by another disciple, as you probably know of. um, Just in the moment of, is this true or not? And one of them running just full tilt. He's going to get there, and he did. He outran Peter. Anyway, there is uh, many things we could point out about the, the narrative, what we see at face value from the resurrection, but we're going to just keep on going here to the, what I call the nobleness of the resurrection. As I looked at that definition of nobleness, it, what I'm after is the greatness or the outstanding qualities of the resurrection. You really get into what, if you want to say what the resurrection means for us today. And I have a number of verses, I don't know if you care to turn to them or not, but I have them in my notes. But John 10, and this is where there was many kind of directions and places you could go with resurrection. But in John 10, 17 and 18, reads, Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it again. No man taketh it from Me, but I lay it down of Myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This commandment I received of My Father. He probably could set up an argument for that Jesus in Himself had the power to raise from the dead. But we read in Scripture about how God raised Him from the dead. and So there's a little conflict there that I kind of never knew for sure of on that until uh, I started looking at this when it says about I have the power. Well, either in the uh, NIV or another um, translation of the Bible, uh, King James uses the word power, but in, uh, instead of power, you, it is, I think, perfectly fine to use the word authority, which we know of as, as power at times through Scripture. But if you think about God the Father, God the Son being the same, yet God the Son becomes a man, 100% man we say and 100% God, he was given authority by God the Father to be able to lay his life down whenever he wanted and to take it up again whenever he wanted. It kind of makes sense to me when you put the Trinity working together there. Jesus was given power by God to lay down, to lay His life down, and to take it up. It was God, the Father, overviewing, overseeing how this is done, and He gave the authority to it. John eleven twenty five. Moving to another one here. Jesus said unto her, "I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live." Now. The last part of that phrase says though he were dead yet shall he live. I'll let you decide what death that was and I'll let you decide what life that was but there's room for different ways there. Here it was when Lazarus had died and uh, about getting mixed up Mary and Martha recognizing that there will be a resurrection at least some point. I think she believed in that but Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth on me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. You were spiritually dead, weren't you? Praise God. It says, yet shall he live. We can live even though we were dead. And Jesus is the one that says, I am the resurrection and the life. God gives life when a child is born. But then what about when the person grows and then dies? If there was no resurrection, getting into the, I guess this is the last part, you've got to understand what what this means. If there was no resurrection, what would happen? If it was impossible for a mortal man to die, go to the grave, And that was the end of it. My mind kind of started getting in that can't think it through type mood. It's just the way Jesus works. The way God wanted it to be. And the way I see it, you have the spiritual death that we were born with. It's a little bit of a repeat. Justified by the cross. But does the cross indicate life? Does it? The cross. No. The cross does not indicate life. The cross indicates death. It's like first grade question. And yet, we, for myself, it's like this all gets mixed together sometimes. But no. The cross indicated death. And if it stopped there, what would happen to us? Spiritually, physically, my mind just kind of lost it. But if there was no resurrection, there would not be any new life of the Spirit with God. That's why I have in my notes here. I didn't quite put it in my head, but that, that is part of the reason for the resurrection we would not have new life in Christ I came across a phrase that sums that up very good so if you can't make sense of what I did just make sense of this one this is somebody else writing it so maybe it will make sense for you his dying proved the greatness of his love now that I can understand his dying proved the greatness of his love his rising again shows that his love had secured its object. And I, me in my mind, I had to think through that. But if you read through that, it, it, it makes sense to me. His dying proved the greatness of his love. But his rising again showed that his love Had put its all into an object. Now, we're not objects, but this is what it calls it here. It had secured that object that he loved. And if you stopped with just the cross, we wouldn't have any of that. And so the need for resurrection, in my mind, just keeps becoming more and more important, more greater. And my next note here, I have what died that caused the need for the resurrection of Jesus. And I don't know how you would answer that, you know, thinking of, okay, why, why do you need the resurrection? But it's like, what died? What was our spiritual life, our spiritual relationship with God that was cut off, and now we can live? God wanted to have that relationship back that he enjoyed in the Garden of Eden. I really believe that. Ephesians 2.6, just a number of verses here now. And hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Colossians 3.1 If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things that are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Philippians 3.10 That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings made, being made conformable unto his death if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. So this morning, do you understand the power available for your spiritual life to be resurrected from the dead? You can live a life of victory over sin. And sin is what caused that death in the first place. Ephesians two one, And you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins, and quicken means to make alive. How can you not drive around this time of year and think you don't need to have life? It's springtime out there. So, I wonder we didn't have any tulips or uh, hyacinths, or I'm not a flower person, but there's some other spring flowers, daffodils. You know, it would have been fitting just to have a... We just know what that represents, something new. The winter, it was old, it was dead, and there is life. You think God would just do that for the anyhow in creation and not be trying to get it through our minds? But above and beyond the physical part is your spiritual life thriving and blooming. He gives us that option that opportunity to be alive first corinthians 15 19 if in this life only we have hope in christ we are of all men most miserable i don't know how you take that verse i thought it was only one way to take it but now i see in a couple different ways used to think that if all we have is hope in Christ and we're not sure of anything, we're just miserable because we can't be certain. It's just, eh, you can't put your all into it because it's only a hope. It's just going to make us miserable. That may be. But it brings out that more of that part of, if all we had was hope in Christ, a little bit the way... Uh, just the cross and what Christ did, if that's all we have, and there's nothing to resurrect to, it's going to make us miserable too. It's like we can't conclude what we were made to do. Because verse 20 then, if you keep on reading, says, But now is Christ risen from the dead, and become the first fruits of them that slept. For since by man came death... By man came also the resurrection of the dead. And if you want something to do this afternoon, you read 1 Corinthians 15. Read the whole chapter. I debated going down through verses in 1 Corinthians 15. But it was too much of the com- what's coming ahead. The, uh, the resurrection to be uh, you know, in future things. And I wanted to stay more with the resurrection of Christ. But in, in today's setting, and where we are today... As I alluded to in the bulletin about Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. I don't know if you understand first fruits, but I took it as Christ was the first one to rise from the dead. But that doesn't hold true because he just got done raising Lazarus just not too long back. So how can Christ be the first one to rise from the dead and be the first fruits, the way this says, if people came back to life before Jesus did? You can't have three people come to life and then Jesus come to life and say, oh, he's the first one, even though three more did back here. You can't. So what's the answer? I can try to give you a little bit of an answer on it. First fruits of them that slept. That means when you died, you go to sleep. Was Jesus the first one to be raised back from the dead? No. So what is he saying? A couple more verses. John 20, 17. Jesus saith unto her, Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my Father. But go to my brethren and say unto them, I will ascend unto my Father and your Father and to my God and your God. This is open for debate. I don't want to take it straight that this is the way scripture's saying, but to touch me not at face value is like don't touch me now other uh, as I study a little bit, it could indicate don't uh hang on to me too much or be like too engrossed in me that I came back from the dead like just don't touch me, but I'm going to take it as. Don't touch me as in touch. Don't touch me. And I want to keep going because in John 20, verse 19, adds to it, Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled, for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst, and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. Here is an indication, that's why I use the word touch as in Jesus says, Don't touch me. An indication that Jesus' body was different when he was resurrected. Whether it's spirit, whether it's body, I don't know. Like I can say my brain goes against it at times, but his body was different. Now, there's evidence of him eating in John 24 42. Where he says he ate fish and honeycomb, and I it was it was somewhat making sense to me. I didn't have the verse written down, but in order to be in heaven, you cannot go to heaven in this fleshly body that you have. I think that's right. If somebody back me up, or if I'm wrong, please correct me. You need to have a different body to ascend into heaven. So you tell me then, when Jesus' ascension happened, what for body did he have? I don't think he had the same one that we do now. But yet he ate some food somewhere between when he came from the grave and when he ascended up into heaven, his body changed into a new glorified body like I say I don't want to say too much to get myself into things that might confuse you but as you think of that at his ascension a cloud received him out of their sight I believe that that his body at that time was ready to be accepted into glory into heaven brings us the question will we get a new body someday Oh, absolutely we will, because it says we will be caught up together with Him in the air and be with the Lord. That's the way Jesus went. He said He's coming back that way and we'll be caught in the air. Could be different interpretations of how that is. But do you think this physical body here is going to rise in the air and go be in glory in heaven? I don't think so. Something's going to have to change. And that is... What Jesus became the first fruits of a glorified, changed body that was on earth, and it changed to the first one to be received up into heaven. I'm suddenly getting second thoughts on that when we have the Old Testament characters that were taken up. But maybe their bodies were changed too on the way up. I don't, I don't know. But that to me gives a lot more weight behind the resurrection. And about we will be caught up with him in the air, and the corruptible will be changed into incorruptible. Read that chapter. It you'll you'll maybe have more, more answers than I will out of it. But there's a lot of things in there, lots of even unknowns. Is anybody willing to say amen? Amen. Okay. <laughs> At least there's a few. I'd make sure not too far off on this. But I don't have too much more in my notes. But as you put the picture of the resurrection together, there is more coming. And I was, my mind just kind of made new to, we dare not get off track in our day-to-day lives of what God is really doing and what he is going even to do. How we're more than just a physical being. We're spiritual beings. And what do I have down here in the conclusion? John five twenty eight. Just something kind of adds to it. It says, Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in the which all that are in graves shall hear his voice and shall come forth. They that have done good unto the resurrection of life and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. Are you ready for the resurrection? I know you are, but we must remember. That's what we celebrate this morning, the resurrection, that Jesus did. More than I think what we realize. Why don't we stand for uh, closing prayer and benediction.